me. 99 pounds for the bitch ain't one. If you having girl problems, I forgot for you, son. I got 99 pounds, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. Hello, and welcome to Riffs on Riffs, where we explore the collision of original and sample tracks and the artists who made them. I'm your host, Joe Watson, and I'm here with Toby Braswell. What's up, Toby? Not too much, man. How you feeling? Feeling good now. It's a great track. It sure is. Together on this show, we listen to the legendary tracks and the timeless, but sometimes not so well-known songs they sampled from. Toby, what are we listening to today? We are listening to 99 Problems, iconic track from Mr. Jay-Z. Joe, where did Hova get this beat from? Well, it looks like he lifted this big old beat from an 80s arena rocker out of Wellesley, Massachusetts. Let's rewind and take a listen. Love it. be the first time I heard the song. Probably. So this is uh, The Big Beat by Billy Squire off of his uh, 1980 debut album, The Tale of the Tape. I'm not surprised you haven't heard this song because this song never charted. Uh, the album spent about three months on the Billboard album chart and kind of launched his career, but there was really no hit single from this album. You're much more familiar with uh, probably these other Billy Squire songs. Let's take a listen to some that I know you know, Tove. Let's start with The Stroke. He likes starting with those drums, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Is that right? The Stroke's the word. Stroke's huh? the word. Not Greece. It's The Stroke. Don't take no rhythm, huh? It's kind of it's kind of two words though, isn't it? <laughs> She's got a counting problem. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> a great riff though. So that's a stroke. You know that one. Another one is my kind of lover. Let's take a listen to that one. Okay. The last one we want to listen to is a tune called Rock Me Tonight. Okay. More big drums. You can definitely tell it's 80s music, right? Yeah. With these beats. Yeah. So this is right at the height of Billy Squire's popularity. He's he's selling out arena tours. He's kind of a big deal on that, that kind of album rock scene. Um, there's a problem, though, that we run into, Tobe. Is that right? Yeah. Billy decided to make a video for this song in particular, for Rock Me Tonight, and it did not go well. So let's, let me tell you a little story here. So he, he had actually a pretty good idea for the concept of the video, which was, you know, before you go to a show, you kind of get 
prettied up and you, you look good. You want to, you know, deck yourself out before you go to a show. And so he wanted to do this juxtaposition between himself getting ready for a show, fans getting ready for a show, and then kind of the collision of that that footage and make kind of this video, right? Sure. Um, I don't know if you've seen this video, Toby, but it's nothing like that. Uh, it turns out that he, you know, the director kind of bailed on him, then another director bailed, and they had a contract with MTV that said, hey, we need a video like next week, and we need to get this done. So they brought in this, actually the guy who directed uh, Hocus Pocus, and I think High School Musical, actually is the guy who directed this video. Okay. And it consists pretty much of Billy, hmm, I'm not sure how to explain. He's riding around on pink sheets and by himself, posing and dancing and it's it's oh that video that video you know what i'm talking about now yeah i think that was on uh i think i saw a show about mtv failed videos and i think this was like that had to be number one (laughs) had to be um and the problem is it actually he blames it and i think some of the you know the album sales and everything will back it up is he said after that video came out Literally, the video comes out and now arenas are half empty because his audience was, you know, teenage boys that were like, whoa, what? this is not what we thought this was. Um, and and he never had a hit again after that. Hmm. And so he talks about how it was that experience was sort of an MBA course on how a video can totally go wrong. So this is direct quote. So I'm just going to quote him on this. Okay. The video misrepresents who I am as an artist. I was a good looking, sexy guy, and that certainly didn't hurt in selling records. But in this video, I'm sort of a pretty boy, and I'm printing around a room, and people say, he's gay, or he's on drugs, and it's traumatizing. I mean, I had nothing against gay, I have a lot of gay friends, but like it or not, it was more of a sticky point back then. So it really kind of torpedoed his career, but the good news is, he has another quote where he says, you know, the scars aren't that deep, it's a bad part of a good life. So he was able to kind of put the whole thing in perspective, but it's interesting to me how that sort of beginning to the MTV generation, and that huge misstep kind of, I don't want to say it ruined his career, but it certainly changed the the trajectory of everything. So if we're going to put it in in today's times, it was kind of like a a bad tweet. It was a bad tweet. You can't take it back. You can't take it back. You can't just delete it because it's out there. Yeah, yeah. Twitter's definitely not for him. That's for sure. So, you know, the other part of that song is it was mid-80s. And you remember the movie Gremlins? I I love that movie. Do you? See, I loved it as a kid. I went back and watched it again. I was like, this is is a terrible movie. And it's really (laughs) disturbing. But uh, there, you know, my brother and I, were, like, there's a scene where the, the the bad gremlin, Stripe, I think is his name is, right? Yeah, Stripe. Right. He's in a bar. Yeah. That bar scene, they're flying off ceiling fans. He's smoking cigarettes, and he's wearing a trench coat, and he does this, like, flash. You know, he flashes. This, yeah. The, yeah. That was... So my brother and I had this running gag where we would sing Rock Me Tonight, you know, that part, Take Me in Your Arms, <laughs> and then we would pretend we were Stripe in a raincoat. Not literally, but, like, we always thought that was a funny thing. So I think had Billy gone with that for his video... Sure. It might have been a hit. Sure. But sure. But he did. And if he had included a scene where the isn't there a scene in that movie where the grandma is on the little Oh, she flies out the she window. Flies out the window. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. See, that would have been good too. That would have been good too. Yeah. So anyway, after this whole Rock Me Tonight debacle, uh, Billy Squire never really achieved the same level of success in the rock arena, but he has had this lasting legacy in hip hop with the simple drum beat from that initial song we just listened to, the big beat. So that drum part has been sampled over 260 times, which is a lot. That, that, that is, yeah, that is a lot. So sometimes we forget that there was an actual drummer that played this track. So it was a guy named uh, Bobby Schunard, and I apologize if I don't pronounce that right. I just want to give him some props. But let's listen to another early sample from 1984 from a band called UTFO. 
which stands for Untouchable Force Organization. Uh, they had an early hip-hop hit called Roxanne, Roxanne. Let's give that a listen to it. Yo, DMD? Yeah, what's up, man? They go that girl they call Roxanne. She's all stuck up. Why do you say that? Cause you wouldn't give a guy like me no rap. Man, she was walking down the street, so I said, hello. I'm Kanko from your TFO. And she's so, I said, so. Baby, don't you know I can sing rap dancing just one show? Cause I'm So this is one of the early samples of Billy Squires' The Big Beat. And it spawned this whole genre of answer songs, which is another fantastic story. So they're obviously talking about this girl, Roxanne, that's ignoring them, right? Right. So apparently, I think this is New York, and U2FO miss a show appearance. So they just, they don't appear for a show. And there's some dudes hanging out on the sidewalk talking about this. And I think one of them's a DJ and another's a producer. And this 14-year-old girl walks by and it's like, hey, I want to record a song about that and like kind of get back at them. And so she kind of named herself Roxanne, Roxanne uh, Shante. Mm -hmm. And so she does a song called Roxanne's Revenge and kind of does an answer track to Roxanne, Roxanne. And it spawns this whole thing where there's literally over 100 Roxanne answer songs. Wow. It's crazy. Um, And the story is interesting. And I I think it's fascinating that some 14-year-old girl can have that sort of impact on early hip-hop. Um, and it's such a cool story that I think Pharrell and Forrest Whitaker did a, just did a movie about it that was at Sundance. And so look up on Netflix or something. It's on my queue. So I haven't, I haven't watched it yet, but it is on my queue. I did see it. I want to say the name of it is Roxanne. Yeah, I think the name of the movie is actually Roxanne. So The Big Beat has been sampled by tons of hip-hop artists. Run DMC, Grandmaster Flash, The Furious Five, Big Daddy Kane, Puff Daddy, Ice Cube, Tribe Called Quest. Lots of people have used it. But there's probably no more famous sample of the Big Beats drum track than our next tune, Jay-Z's 99 Problems. Hit me! 99 this brings back some good good memories so i can tell you as a hip-hop fan yeah that this was a very happy and sad moment why is that well so this is off the black album and it was supposed to be his farewell oh album. you're right he was going away and i was retiring. very sad because okay. you know here we are uh i mean there was three singles that came off from this album the album was very very popular so i'm just going to name a couple songs from the black album just so people can kind of get a frame of reference uh we have encore change clothes dirt off your shoulder what more can i say lucifer and that's not even including the song that we're getting ready to talk about right okay i mean he has singles for days off this it's not a bad idea if you're planning on retiring to go out with a bang right i I mean i think that the response to this was the reason why he was like you know maybe i should keep going maybe i should keep yeah maybe i should keep going maybe the energizer bunny had something something to that keep going (laughs) and going and he's actually been going and going since then so yeah so we talked about the black album he actually used different producers for each one of these tracks and there's a guy by the name of Rick Rubin, who I think we've all heard of. Yep. Um, we'll talk more about Rick later. But what's interesting is, you know, it was such a, a hot time for hip-hop, right? He actually lost the Grammy for Best Rap Album to a guy named, uh, what was his name, Kanye? Yeah, Kanye, something, something about a direction. 
<laughs> Kanye West. Kanye West. Yeah. Uh, the college dropout actually won the Grammy over him, which is ironic because actually Kanye sampled Billy Squire's tune, The Big Beat, in a song called Looking for Trouble. So there's a little connection there besides other connections between Kanye and Jay. But So we're talking about 99 Problems. Can we discuss for a minute what, what isn't a problem in this song? And I know we can't say the word on a family show. Sure, but sure. So we'll just reference this moving forward as, I guess, the B word. Yeah, the B word, sure. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting is he's never actually referencing a woman in any of the three verses in this song. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of misunderstand the lyrics is, is you think, oh, okay, this is another, you know, kind of rap thing that's putting women down. But it actually has really nothing to do with women. And that was kind of his intent, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If you, you know, break down the verses and what he's saying, I mean, he's... Jay-Z is an MC, MC, right? His songs have, uh, lyrics have a meaning and have a purpose, so. Yeah, so in the, you know, the first verse, basically, he's talking about critics and the music industry at large. And in the, in the second verse, which is the one we just heard, um, he's actually talking about getting pulled over and the canine patrol, you know, an actual female dog showing up to search his car. And then in the third verse, he's, you know, people that run their mouth and the prison system and whatever. So, uh, Jay doesn't write his lyrics down. He just keeps them in his head, which... Talk to me about how difficult that is as an MC. So I'm more of what we call like a stream of consciousness writer. Yeah. So I just write, 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 write. And I think Eminem is probably like one of those guys as well. If you've seen his notebook, he writes yep. in the margins. He writes pretty much everywhere. I've only met a couple of MCs that actually write the way that Jay does, uh, where they don't write anything down. And that's not to say that I've never written this way, but I just don't tend to write this way, right? Uh, so my rhyme partner, uh, he, he writes his songs typically like this. He'll do the entire verse... Just in put his it head. in his head. Yep, he'll go over over on his way to work. He'll just go through the entire verse. That's so cool. And and then when he finally gets time, he'll actually write it down. Then, but he's already really? totally memorized it. Huh. So if you look at his verses in the notebook, the first time he writes it down is perfect. It's so clean. It's and neat. very clean. I was like, how do you do that? How, my my notebooks are a mess. Yeah. So at this time, the interesting thing is that it, it started to become publicized that he never wrote lyrics down. Right, he wrote them all in right. his head in every. Rhymer, every MC wanted to brag that they did the same thing. So you have. <laughs> it's like, why is that even a thing I mean, to it, brag it sh- about? It's, you know? it's, it's so dumb. It's it's just one of those silly things that you know. I do that too. You know, hey, you know, yeah, or whatever. Right. So you know, Little Wayne apparently, you know, he said that he he did that. But a lot of people, especially in the underground scene, a lot of people yeah. were starting to come out the woodwork. Oh, I do that. No, you don't. Stop it. Right. Stop it. And what's interesting is Rick Rubin actually has said that uh, that second verse is the only time he's actually seen Jay write stuff down. Is because you've you've got and there's a cool video, you can find it pretty easily online mm-hmm. where it's showing that recording. And he's because he's got he's playing the cop and he's playing the different parts, he's he's pauses and so, you know, he's inserting stuff at various times, which kinda makes sense. He would have to do that. But you know, the other thing I wanted to talk about this is that chorus I don't think most people realize is not really his he didn't write that. Um, that is actually from uh, the original is an ice tea song called Ironically, 99 Problems, which came out in 93 off of uh, Ice-T's album Home Invasion. Um, let's, let's take a quick listen to that, but it's going to be a short snippet because there's not much we can listen to with that track. No, there's not. No, there's not. That would definitely be the, the hundredth problem, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> if we were to play the whole thing. All right, go ahead. I love them all. I love them crazily. And they love me back. That's why they stay with me. So if you're having girl problems, I'll prepare for your son. Got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Hit it. No, nah, change one. 
So we talk about Jay um, not really referencing the B word in relation to women. This song is the complete opposite. Right. It's completely misogynistic. It's, uh, it, yeah, it's degrading to women. But, you know, Mark Ross, a.k.a. Brother Marquis from Two Live Crew, was was one of the co-writers, so you kind of expected that. And it's, it's what? funny. You, uh, two Live Crew? I know. A misogynistic <laughs> song? Hey. We, yeah, sorry. Unbelievable. Um, so... <laughs> What's even funnier is Mark Ross actually filed a lawsuit seeking royalties once, you know, Jay had used it and, they, and Ice-T was making a lot of money. And I don't—he wasn't feeling like he was getting paid enough. But in the in the notes to the judge, mm-hmm. he actually writes, you know, counsel for the plaintiff apologizes to the court for the graphic and profane nature of the song included in the body of this complaint. Wow. So he's got a wow. little remorse, like, mm, this wasn't so yeah, good. Yeah, terrible. Um, but I think, you know, a couple other interesting things is— Chris Rock was was one of the ones who went to Rick Rubin and said, hey, there's this Ice-T song that I think Jay-Z should do. It's really cool. And so that was kind of the impetus for that, which is interesting. But, there, you know, there's some quotes from Ice when he talks about it, and he's not bitter or anything. He's like, look, they paid for the publishing rights. They did everything the right way as far as clearing the samples. But he's like, this is a quote from, from Ice-T. Why Jay-Z never said, hey, this is Ice-T's song and showed me some love, I don't know. I'm friends with Jay. I would have I would have handled the situation differently. If I use your music, I want to let people know, and I think that's being a real-life player. There's nothing you like better than to give props with other people. That's just what you should do, but, you know, that's how I get down. I, I want to say that there's probably some history behind this. I mean, I, I think we should look at Ice-T's career at this time. What was Ice-T doing at this time? Was he doing Cop Killer? Because if he was doing the Cop Killer songs, if I'm Jay, I already have enough problems with the cops. I don't need to be near you. <laughs> and then secondly, we think, okay, was Ice-T actually acting as a cop? Right. right, he was because already if, on, you know, what is it, SVU L- or, or LA? It, I don't know, yeah, one of those shows. Law and Order, law right? And so he's order, on Law and Order. Well, in which case, hey, I, again, I don't need to mess with you. I don't need right. you uh, doing a house arrest or doing a citizen's arrest <laughs> on me anyway. So either way, Ice T loses, right? In this case. So but there's another interesting story. So Ice T has that band Body Count, which is his metal band, right? And so his bandmates would kind of come in and mess with him, and they would play. Uh, Jay-Z's version, the music from that, and then Ice would kind of rap over it. And so he said, you know, I want to put that on record so that we could perform it live. And this this kills me. But they do the song, and then the record company's like, oh, hey, did you uh, did you make sure you cleared that sample, It's my Jay? song. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's my song. Uh, so let's talk Uh-oh. about one other sample from this tune. There's a band called Mountain, and there's a song called Long Red. Okay. Uh, you're probably most familiar with Mountain from this track. That's just fat. I feel like we've heard this song in dozens of beer commercials, but this is Mountain's Mississippi Queen, and that's Leslie West with that just nasty guitar sound. So that's that's probably Mountain's most famous track. Mm, what was the inspiration? Was it a boat or was it an actual woman that we're talking about? So 99 Problems actually samples a live version of another Mountain tune called Long Red. Because the studio version of Long Red is kind of this acoustic. It's not really. But, sure. Uh, well, let's listen to this live version, which I think is where, this, where 99 Problems samples from. And then <laughs> just the singer's response to this, I feel like, is is every musician's response when you hear a crowd trying to interact. Let's give it a listen. (laughs) 
<laughs> On tempo, Jack. Because <laughs> you guys, you guys are nowhere near to keeping the beat. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? Uh, people that dance to uh, techno music back in the day. Yeah. They would just move around and figure like, well, I'm catching some some right. beat. Some there's a beat somewhere. I'm just gonna keep gonna play a real just do a real fast rendition of the hokey pokey and hope that's by lands somewhere. somewhere on the beat all right well our next featured artist can definitely keep the beat she doesn't have issues um and she's actually so talented and she may be on fire alicia keys 2012 hit girl on fire she's just a girl and she's on fire hotter than a fantasy lonely like a highway she's living I think you have to like this song. I'm not a big fan of the song. No? I like the commercial they did for it. I was like, oh, this is good. I, I, I like that. Go ahead. Get it, girl. Get it. Everybody now. Clap your hands, y'all. On beat, Jack. So as we can tell from the chorus, this is Alicia Keys' 2012 hit, Girl on Fire, which comes from the album of the same name. It won the Grammy that year for, actually probably 2013, for Best R&B Album. Reached the top 10 in several countries worldwide. Um, besides this version, there's a down-tempo blue light version, oh, which is very jazzy okay. and smooth. And then there's the Inferno version, which has Nicki Minaj doing an intro, which is interesting because she talks about being haunted by the ghost of Marilyn Monroe, and then she references Olympic gold medalist uh, Gabby Douglas. So the other thing that I find interesting is sort of the timeline of everything. So Alicia releases this song on September 4th of 2012, and then two days later kind of does this live performance at the 2012 MTV Video Music Awards, Okay, and she brings Nikki on stage, and guess who makes a surprise appearance? Gabby Douglas. Gabby Douglas. Nice. And so it's this kind of iconic visual, which, you know, besides the song itself, I think helps propel the popularity of it. Um, and then have you seen the video for this? I haven't. I haven't. It's actually, uh, I love the colors in it, and I think the message is really cool, too, because it's it's showing Alicia, and she's doing pretty much everything, right? She's taking care of her elderly mom. She's being a mom to her own kids. She's she's doing the bookkeeping and managing her career and doing all the domestic stuff. And, and really, I think this is such a song of empowerment because she's in control of her life. She's in control of her destiny, and I think that's really what this is about is, you know, I'm on fire because I can handle all of this, and I'm a powerful woman. And I think it's it's such a direct contrast to, you know, what we have going on with 99 Problems, right? Especially the original version. Um, it's kind of a nice thing to see this flipped around and go a different direction. I, I totally agree. I mean, it is definitely a song of empowerment. Using that big beat is such a strong beat. I mean, you can listen to that beat. I don't know how many times you know that somebody's got to come hard. Right. You got to bring it. You got to bring it. And Alicia Keys sings hard over this track. She's, yeah. she's belting it out. She's belting. Right? Uh, she's totally belting out. And, you know, this girl's on fire. And I, I love the I love the message behind it. I thought it was great. And uh, it it's interesting, especially during today's times, you know, with, with uh, women empowerment, how 
powerful songs like this, sure. you know, are and how relevant they are. So. so the other interesting thing, I think, is that the drum track on Girl on Fire sounds like a sample to me, but it's actually not. They brought in a drummer, a studio drummer, and they wanted to replicate that sound from the big beat. And it's cool because there's a video online about this where they set up the kit and it, they actually put a little tiny symbol on the snare to kind of replicate that that sort of garagey, sure. trashy sound. And so the beat itself, I don't even think is the exact same thing as the big beat. So it's a different pattern. But yet, I love that Alicia's willing to give Billy Squire writing credit on this huh. and to kind of you know pay homage to, hey, this was the inspiration. We did try to replicate this sound. We didn't take it from the track. We didn't even play it the same way. But we know where it came from, and that was important to us, and we want to give credit where credit is due. So I think that's... It's such a simple beat. It's interesting to me that it's been used so many times, and the credit always goes back, which I think is kind of cool in this day and age where people just steal stuff. Yeah, I, I wonder if Billy's getting paid for every time it's actually been lifted because maybe that's why he's not really that sad about i'm the saying video snafu. i've had a, he's had a good life a he's bad a video but a good life right it's crazy so girl on fire great track powerful track and we know that every great track has a great producer so let's get into some of the influences behind these tracks and i think you can't really talk about influences without talking about rick rubin um i mean he's a he's an industry icon he was the producer of jay-z's 99 problems pioneer in the production and distribution of hip-hop in general, and not just hip-hop. I mean, his his whole career has spanned pretty much any genre you can think of, and the number of hits and artists he's produced is it's almost too high to count. So let's spend a little bit of time talking about Rick. So Rick Rubin, you know, in the early 80s, he's in high school, he's playing in some punk bands, he's, I mean, he's in New York, and, and he decides when he's at NYU to found a record company, right? And so it's Def Jam Records, and he meets Russell Simmons pretty quickly thereafter, and they decide to partner in that. So guess who his, uh, who his first single was for? Who? Uh, guy who likes to walk like a panther, right? Uh, Mr. LL, Ladies Love, Cool James. Um, his first track, first single was a song called I Need a Beat from LL Cool J. Let's take a listen to that. I, need a beat. I feel like you can, you can, you can still hear that sort of Rick Rubin influence, you know, between this and 99 Problems, it's... Yeah, you can. Rick, he doesn't know uh, the meaning of, like, soft and subtle no, no, at all. It's hard, it's in your face. Yeah, we're going to compress it, we're going to make it loud. But, uh, again, I mean, this is a guy who signed Public Enemy... He was, you know, met the Beastie Boys early on. But Rick produced the Beastie Boys, You Gotta Fight for Your Right to Party and No Sleep Till Brooklyn. And, you know, that Licensed to Ill album was, was his deal. He was the guy who produced Run DMC and Aerosmith collaboration on Walk This Way in 1986. That song is so awesome. It is, isn't it? Oh, my God, that song is so awesome. And I've always thought that Steven Tyler's chorus in that version is much better than the original. Huh. But, you know, he didn't just do hip-hop. He did metal, like iconic metal albums like Slayer's Rain and Blood and then you know he didn't do early Metallica but he did Death Magnetic which a lot of people feel like was it coming back to them for you know for their sound mm -hmm. I mean literally dozens if not hundreds of artists he's got eight Grammys I think he did every single Red Hot Chili Peppers album up until their last one I believe oh wow so you know Blood Sugar Sex Magic like all of those Classic. Stadium Arcadium like right. great stuff do you remember when Johnny Cash was right when he got sick and he did that Nine Inch Nails cover of Hurt, 
and he you know he started to do those covers and re- resurged in popularity that was that was Rick's deal oh wow um Dixie Chicks and Adele he won Grammys for those I'm pretty sure he did Adele's 21 wow so it's it's crazy that he's he's able to kind of pop into all these different styles and genres and still have an impact and I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of Rick but he's he's an interesting looking character with that beard that beard is awesome it's uh, yeah that, you that, wonder what's in there there's but. a there's a story yeah I feel like he's hiding fraggles in there <laughs> I like it <laughs> yeah I definitely think uh, and then he's done a, he's done a ton of work with Eminem, which is fascinating to me because I think Rick has a secret fascination for Billy Squire because because in the Eminem song Berserk he samples the Stroke, which we had heard sure. earlier, and the Beasties, uh, and then in Shady Fifteen he samples. And I don't know if Rick produced the Shady Fifteen, but uh, My Kind of Lover from Billy Squire is, is sampled in that too. So again, it's interesting how when you start to look at all this stuff, it just all comes back around. Sure. And everybody's connected in all these weird ways. That's all right, man. Uh, the history is just incredible. I had no idea. I mean, obviously I've heard of. Rick Rubin, but to know that he worked with Johnny Cash and Adele uh, and was responsible for the signing of Public Enemy, I mean, that's incredible. Crazy. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, he's an icon, not just to hip hop, but just in music as a whole, right? Yep. You just don't want to just put him in a box just for hip hop or any genre for that matter, just music in general. Yeah. So here at Riffs on Riffs, we like to cover these kind of interesting tidbits, right? And connect the musical dots. Our bonus material today takes a look at some butterflies and bongos, among other things. So, what do you say we get into that? Butterflies and bongos. Yeah. I like that combination. You see how much? I see that. That's like a band name right there, I sh- right? It should be if it's not. It's better than peanut butter and jelly. Butterflies and bongos, Butterflies and, and bongos. There we go. So, Nas actually sampled uh, the big beat as well um, in a song called Hip Hop is Dead. So, let's take a quick listen to that because it's interesting. From turntables to MP3s, from V Street to commercials on Mickey D's, from gold cables to Jacobs, from plain facials to Botox and facelifts. I'm looking over my shoulder. It's about 80 people from my hood that showed up and they came to show love. So, that bass line, and you can hear it earlier in the song, is, is from, you remember Iron Butterfly at all, that song, Inagata De Vida? which was supposed to be, you know, the history is it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. Okay. But the guy was hammered. They ended up making like a half-hour song. <laughs> you know, like that was... Uh, Do that one more time. No, I will not. <laughs> so it, it's one of those iconic stories from classic rock back in the day. But what I did not know until I got into researching this is uh, there's a band called the Incredible Bongo Band. Huh. And their version of Inagata De Vida is actually what Nas used for Hip Hop Is Dead. So I want to I want to play that because it's it's pretty cool. Okay, let's do it. We start to get into some bongos here in a second. You can kind of hear them. Right? You just groove to this. That's a hip-hop sample's dream right there. Right? That, that's beautiful. It's funny you should say that because you know that Sugar Hill Gang classic, Apache? Yeah. So they didn't take the original song, Apache. They took the incredible bongo band version of Apache, and that's what they use. Well, I know what I'm listening to on the way right? home. Right? So... <laughs> And what's what's fascinating to me is this incredible bongo band was just sort of this random side project from the from a dude who worked at I forget which record company, and 
he's just hanging out in the studio and somebody came in and said, hey, we need a track for a B-side in a movie. And he starts pulling in all these session musicians and making tracks like this. And they put out this album. I think they put out two albums. Like it made any money. It was just sort of a vanity project. But then all these years later, all these hip hop guys are like, man, that, those beats are dope. We have to use those. So it's again, it's just crazy how this stuff like connects, you know, through the years. And that is crazy. Well, you know, like I said, he's a producer's dream. Those kind of tracks because we're always looking for breaks. Whereas if it's right. just the the it's drums, just the breaks. yeah. If you if yeah, if you're looking for if you find find the break in a song where you just hear just the drums, man, that's beautiful. You know, because you can put anything over that. You know, right. you're, you're, uh, you have a, a blank canvas, if you will. So the, the last sort of interesting bonus stuff we can get into is, uh, speaking of producers doing cool things, is uh, Danger Mouse, the DJ Danger Mouse, yeah. decided to take Jay-Z's The Black Album, and there's a band called The Beatles. I don't know if you heard of them. Mm, not too uh, familiar. They made an album called The White Album. Yes. And so what happens when you put white and black together? You get, you get gray. You get gray. You get gray. So Danger Mouse put together this album called The Gray Album, where he took, you know, Jay's acapella rhymes and put it over tracks from the Beatles' White Album. So let's take a quick listen to 99 Problems, which in this case is going over the Beatles' Helter Skelter. Okay, let's do it. You crazy for this one, Rick? It's your boy! This Good. is crazy. The, the Gray album was special because every hit, every sample came from the Beatles, but so did every drum hit. Right. Every drum hit, literally every sound that you heard outside of Jay-Z's voice came from a Beatles track. How long that would oh. take. And for you not to get, he didn't get it, he didn't get paid for this. Nothing. He, he, he said he literally did it because it was, he was obsessed and it was an art project for him. <sighs> um, and, you know, obviously the legal shutdown from the record companies, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, wasn't set out to be a moneymaker or anything. But I think the other interesting thing is what Jay and Paul McCartney from the Beatles have both said about the Grey album. And I think about being sampled in general, I think is, is pretty important. You know, Jay says, quote, I think it was a really strong album. I champion any form of creativity, and that was a genius idea to do it. And it sparked so many others like it. I was honored to be on, you know, quote-unquote, the same song with the Beatles. So, you know, Jay feels good about that. Like, sure. somebody thought enough of me to do something cool like this. Right. And then Paul McCartney says, you know, it was really cool when hip-hop started. You would hear references in lyrics, and you always felt honored. And exactly what we did in the beginning, introducing black soul music to a mass white audience. So it's come full circle, and it's cool. And when you hear riffs similar to your own, your first feeling is rip-off. But then after you get over it, you think, well, look at that. Somebody's noticed that riff. Um, he's like, so I didn't mind when something like the Grey album comes out, but the record company minded. And they put up a fuss, but I was like, hey, take it easy, guys. It's a tribute. So, again, it's where, you know, all the lawyers get involved. Things get dicey. But, you know, again, artists, they're honored. We... We're happy. Well, I can tell you as a producer, when it came out, how many how many other producers were inspired to do similar projects? Because you know that the Grey album wasn't the only album of this type uh, that came out. Uh, there's also the Purple album that came out where in, in, a producer took uh, Prince tracks. Right? Oh, that's going to be good. I haven't heard that one. Man, it's, it's just fantastic. It's just the idea, the genius behind it. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think it just took production to a whole... 
I just it just brought more awareness to uh, to yep. production as a whole. Like man, like that. It's a true art. Yeah, form. it's a true art form. It's not just being lazy and just you know sampling. You know, just taking right. a full sample. You know, you got to hear it in your head loop. first. Oh, this dude, he's. It, it, it was a genius move, man. It's a genius project. Uh, you know, whatever your thoughts are on the project as a whole, I really enjoy it. In fact, there are some songs on that that I actually enjoy more than the original versions. Yeah, right. Uh, I just thought it was. I thought it was a piece of art. That's for sure. All right. Well, with that, that is it for the show. So thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. We really enjoyed having this music discussion about Billy Squires, The Big Beat, and Jay Z's Ninety Nine Problems, and Alicia Keys' Girl on Fire, and everything else we talked about. You know, bongos and butterflies. So we're going to take you out with a different collaboration between two of our featured artists, Jay-Z and Alicia Keys' 2009 track, Empire State of Mind. This New York anthem was nominated for three Grammys, won Best Rap Song and Best Rap Song Collaboration. It was number one on the Hot 100 for five consecutive weeks, was Jay-Z's first number one single as lead artist. So we're going to take you out again with Empire State of Mind from Jay-Z and Alicia Keys. But be sure to join us on our next episode where we'll... Uh, you might be getting a little too sexy with Taylor Swift. This sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Riffs on Riffs is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to executive producers Joan Andrews and Michael DeLoya. Producer Julie Fink. Audio engineers Eric Coltnow and Dave Shaw. And audio director Michael Seifert. You can listen to more episodes of Riffs on Riffs by finding us on iTunes, Stitcher, or visit evergreenpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us an iTunes review. It really helps. I'm your host, Joe Watson. And I'm your co-host, Toby Braswell. Thank you for listening to Riffs on Riffs. It's a pity half of y'all won't make it Me, I got a plug special where I got it made If Jesus paying LeBron, I'm paying Dwayne Way. Three dice, three card Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind uh, And right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it Right down to the shaky microphone and all <laughs> And my name's Bob and my name is Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind podcast. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.